Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church and our Sunday School Hour. This is the lesson that is to be presented on January the 14th of 2024. So we are halfway through the first month of the new year. So I hope you're enjoying it and hope the Lord is blessing you. And we're going to talk about Abraham again. Uh, at this point, his name is still Abram. So uh, forgive me if I lapse into the more familiar name of Abraham instead of Abram or say Sarah instead of Sarai. It's uh, sometimes difficult to break those kind of habits. And we're going to look at uh, Genesis chapter 12 and we're going to look at uh, verses 10 through 20. Okay, so let's start reading at verse 10. Genesis chapter 12 verse 10. Now there was famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt. Does this not kind of sound familiar? Um, maybe it's not always Egypt, but anytime there's some kind of a trouble in the land that God has said, this is where I want you to be, uh, we always have a tendency to kind of stray and look somewhere else. The grass is greener on the other side of the fence, or as uh, the author Irma Bombeck said back in the 70s or 80s, the grass is always greener over the septic tank. That's about the truth, isn't it? And you find this like in the book of Ruth. You uh, find that um, uh, Naomi and uh, Elimelech, they had a famine in the land. And so they went to Moab. And uh, later on, you'll find that uh, the, the way that uh, Israel, the nation and the family of Jacob, there was a famine. So they head to Egypt and that's where they run into Joseph and all of that and then end up in slavery. So uh, there, there's something here that we need to learn and something that the Bible keeps referencing about heroes in the scripture that uh, whenever things get tough in the will of God, we step out of the will of God and we think that our resources and opportunities are going to be better somewhere else and someplace else. I will promise you, you know people who have left a situation that was good, good for their family, good for them spiritually, but it seemed like there were more opportunities somewhere else, and so they went there and it was disastrous for them, maybe disastrous for their family, maybe disastrous for their spiritual life. We're just never really content with where God has us. Now, again, sometimes it may be in the will of God for people to move and go someplace else, it was the will of God for Abram to leave Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan, but it was not the will of God for him to leave uh, for Egypt. So this is going to be a threat to everything that Abraham, Abram had staked his life upon and every promise that God had ever um, given to him and every covenant that had been made. So... Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there. And the idea is a temporary dwelling just till things got better for the famine was severe in the land. So there again, we can't really blame him because, you know, we would probably do the same thing or at least consider it. But um, as it turns out, it wasn't really the best move. Look at verse 11. And it came to pass... When he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Now, that probably made her blush and 
uh, made her feel really good, but here we go to verse 12. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is his wife and they will kill me, but uh, they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake. And I emphasize that on purpose. Notice how selfishly focused he is here. It's not about protecting Sarai, his wife. It's about protecting Abram himself. And uh, he said, and that I may live because of you. In other words, my life is in your hands. And by implication there, uh, verse 13 is saying, and all of the promises that God has given to me are going to live or die based on what you do, Sarai. And so she's not really uh, considered in this matter. It's all about Abram. Sound, sounds kind of typical, doesn't it? Verse 14. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was, look at this word, taken to Pharaoh's house, taken to Pharaoh's house. And he treated Abram well for her sake. So he's making out like a bandit. And he had sheep and oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. If Abram's not going to be a protector, God will. That's always a good thing to realize and to know. Verse 18, And Pharaoh called to Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? And why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now therefore, and, and by that he means sexually, now therefore, here is your wife, take her and go your way. And verse 20 is interesting. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, meaning Abram, and they sent him away, sent him away. He's expelled from Egypt with his wife and all that he had. So here we see Abram, this man that has been so obedient and this man that God says, I'm going to make you a great nation and in you all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. That, that's tall cotton, I guess we would say, to walk in. And yet we find that this great man of God, the father of the Jewish nation, the father of Israel, and uh, this, this man that had done so well and has so many great blessings and promises from God, now we find that he stumbles and he falls. Does that make you feel good? Does that make you feel a little bit encouraged that even the heroes of the Bible are not always everything that they should be? That's one of the things that uh, points to the fact that the Bible is not the work of men because in the work of men, this would either be like maybe an expose showing what a rat Abraham was and how false his religion was and what a hypocrite he was. We find a lot of tell-all books like that written today. Or it would have been written by a supporter of Abraham who would have just told us all the highlights and all of the good things and, and none of the failures. And the same would be said of 
people like David and the Apostle Peter and all of those kind of things. And yet we see not only their successes, but their failures. We get the whole story and all of that because God is a God of grace who takes failures like you and like me and like Abram and he does something great with us. To quote my father-in-law, God can take a crooked stick and hit a straight lick with it, right? And so uh, we find that the Bible always points us to the Lord. It's not about us. Yes, we have a responsibility, and yes, we should be faithful. But if it were left up to that, how many of us would even be alive? This is about God and His mercy, His grace, and certainly His sovereign power in all of this. So Abram was a failure, and he failed in trusting God. He failed in protecting his wife. He failed as a witness for God. And he actually put the promised blessing in jeopardy. Boy, if this had been all up to Abram, we would never have had the Lord Jesus Christ. He would have failed and everything would have been messed up. But the good news is God is sovereign even over the failure. God was not caught off guard by any of this at all. And so uh, he does something and he intervenes on the situation to kind of like uh, Lee Corso on uh, game day going, not so fast, not so fast. So here they are, Abram makes a plan and Pharaoh makes a plan and the Lord intervenes and says, not so fast. And so um, th this is just one of those stories that is amazing to me. And it reminds me of Psalm 103 Verses 11 through 14. Listen to this, because this describes you as well as Abram and everyone else. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. Now, aren't you glad that he does? Because the Lord has commanded you to be perfect, and he's told you, for example, Jesus said to his disciples, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. And that would have been terrifying to people living back then. How can we be more righteous than the Pharisees? Well, number one, and, and this is all for free. It really isn't in the lesson, but it kind of is. Number one, the Pharisees weren't all that righteous when you looked at their hearts. Remember that? And number two, Jesus was pointing to the fact that the only one who can be more righteous and righteous perfectly is Christ. And that's why Abraham's seed, Abraham's family, is going to bless all the nations of the earth. That's a reference to the Messiah, to Christ. He is the perfection that we have to have in order to enter into the kingdom of God. And he offers himself as a sacrifice for sinners like us because he remembers our frame that we are dust. He knows that we can't do it. And so he's not surprised by our sin. He's not caught off guard. It doesn't mess up his plan. He's already worked around it. And none of this catches him by surprise. So let's look at our points in the lesson. 
And in verse 10, this is where I've said the first thing, out of the frying pan and into the fire. Now, isn't that interesting? As humans, we think we're escaping and we make things worse. We think we're going to make things better and things get worse and we are always surprised. So there's a famine in the land. That's bad. Now, we don't want to discount that. That's a horrible thing and Abraham was probably terrified that he wouldn't be able to take care of his family. So they decide to go to Egypt. Apparently, there was food there. They had the Nile River and all of that. They could irrigate their crops. And so uh, the famines were never as severe in Egypt as they were in Israel, which is 60% desert. It's difficult there, okay? So Abram goes to Egypt and he's going to escape death by famine in uh, uh, death by famine that was in Canaan. He's going to do that by going to Egypt. Now, let's think, crawl into his mind for a little bit. God has promised that I will be the father of nations. But if I starve to death, that promise can't be fulfilled. So I don't know how this is all going to work out, but I know I have to live at all costs. And that's kind of the context for all of this story. Abraham is, or Abram, sorry, I did it. Abram is taking the promise of God very seriously and he knows that it rests upon him. And so he thinks he has to preserve his life. Getting, getting the picture here? And so he goes to Egypt where there would be food and a greater possibility of survival. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't know how things are going to play out, but he knows he's got to go somewhere else. However... By going to Egypt, that actually threatened his life as well. He didn't think about it when he left Canaan, but he thought about it as they were approaching Egypt. Have you ever done that? Have you ever had something uh, happen where you go, I, I should have known. What's wrong with me that I didn't think about that? And, and if you're married, you probably have a uh, spouse that tells you that frequently. What were you thinking? Why didn't you see that through? Why didn't you prepare for this? And uh, why didn't you use a little common sense and see that this is coming? Well, we could pull that on Abram because Abram is thinking, I got to get out of here because if I die, the promise doesn't come true. And so I've got to go to Egypt. And then when he gets close to Egypt, he goes, uh-oh. And then we find the rest of the story. Okay? I don't know. Does that uh, help you? It kind of does me because I look and I go, man, I'm not such a, a mess up after all. Maybe I'm in good company. But some people could get discouraged by this and say, well, if Abram can't be faithful, then how can I ever hope to be faithful? And that's where I would say before we move to point two, that's why the Bible calls us not to look at people, but to look to Christ. Christ is your example and Christ is the faithful one, and Christ is the one who keeps and provides for his children. Okay, number two. Abram thought the blessing was all about him. Have we kind of made that point already? In verses 11 through 13. And that's where he gets close to Egypt, and he says, Sarah, you are so beautiful. And I'm sure she thought that was great, and, uh, you know, started feeling loving, and romantic feelings toward Abram. And then he has to go a little bit further. And because of this, the Egyptians are going to kill me 
in order to get to you. So therefore, don't tell them you're my wife. Tell them that you're my sister, that it may be well with me. Now, that's an important phrase, that it may be well with me. Now, Abram was taking the plan and the purpose and the promise and the covenant with God very seriously. I think that's clear. He loved God, he feared God, but he also had a, a preoccupation with himself and with who he was and his importance. He, he kind of overdid that, didn't he? And he uh, did that to the detriment of this whole thing that is going on here. So, um, that I may live because of you. So, let's remember that the danger was real. Don't discount that. This wasn't something that... You know, we had things that come up that if I just waited 30 seconds, everything would have been okay. But I had to react, you know, within the next minute and then made a big mess out of things. This is not the way Abram is. This is a real threat, a real famine, and uh, this is true. He should have gone to the Lord with it, and uh, yet he didn't. Now, the plan to deceive showed that Abram's faith was kind of weak at this point. The Bible tells us we're to put away falsehood. And every time we tell a lie or every time we deceive, it really is sin and it really is a lack of faith. And so his treatment of his wife was shameful. Let's, let's make sure. We need to understand as we read the Bible, some things in it are prescriptive. In other words, they're things we are to do. They are commands. They are examples to be followed. Some things are only descriptive. And in this case, God is through the pen of Moses describing what Abram did, but he certainly doesn't commend it or command it. It's, it's just descriptive, not prescriptive. Okay? Now, verse 23 says it all, and we've already made this point, that it may be well with me. But here's the question, the next bullet point. How would it be for Sarai? God was protecting her and also protecting the blessing. So Abram had no clue. Wives are expendable. You can get another wife. And uh, hate, hate to see you go, Sarai. And, uh, you know, it's like um, the, the time when the man was getting ready to go fishing and his wife said, I don't want you to go. It's our anniversary. And uh, he said, well, I'm going anyway. And she said, well, choose wisely. And while he's on his boat, he thinks, boy, I'm sure going to miss her. And uh, that's kind of the way Abram is. Just so much of a typical man. And yet, this is all described for us because we need to know this. So number three, Abram's deception helped him. Okay, it helped him. Let's, I mean, you read the story in here. It helped him. His life was spared. And he got a lot of stuff. And he went from being just a uh, stranger in the land of Egypt. Now he's an honored guest of Pharaoh. Hey, this is working out pretty good, right? Well, short term, but it jeopardized the blessing long term, didn't it? Why? Because Sarah was his wife and Sarai was the one. I keep saying that, don't I? Sarai was the one who the blessing was to come through. Yes, it was the seed of Abraham through Sarai. Okay? Abraham doesn't get all of that. He thinks it's all about him. So he is actually jeopardizing the blessing by kind of handing her off to Pharaoh. Okay? 
So it was that when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman that she was beautiful and the princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. Now, verse 16 That's interesting to me, and I'm going to use a little bit of uh, speculation here. He treated Abram well. wonder how Sarai was treated. I wonder if she was just treated like a possession. Uh, The the Egyptians, especially a pharaoh like that, who thought he was a descendant of the Egyptian gods, he probably didn't have all that much regard for her. And she's a part of a harem, so it's not like there's a shortage and she's his one and only because she's not. And it's not like Sarai has any choice. Do you love Pharaoh? Do you want to be with him? She's going to be with him sexually whether she wants to or not and be raped and, um, and, and the more she would put up a fuss. Well, you can imagine on all of that. But Abram was sure treated well, as I said earlier, He became an honored guest in Egypt and not just a guest of anybody but of Pharaoh himself. And Pharaoh gave him a dowry. Sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. Now that's ironic because she's his wife. Pharaoh thought he was making a deal with an older brother who was the head of the family for uh, Sarai, and so he pays generously to Abram the dowry to take her into his harem. I mean, this is just amazing, right? So Abram is thinking that Sarai is expendable, and God's going to show him she's not. She's part of the plan as well. And um, if Abram died, then the promise, of course, is over, but he seemed unaware unaware that Sarai was necessary to the whole plan as well. And so the tension is so great here that Abram resorted to deception. It seemed like the only way out. You know, we kind of have this idea when we talk to people, maybe you felt this way. I had two choices and both of them were bad. Both of them were sinful. Is, Is that really the way it is? But it seems that way sometimes, and so we try to pick the lesser of two evils instead of the Lord who promised to always make a way of escape. It's pretty practical, isn't it? And so um, he lies, he deceives, he sins. And so Sarai is seized, and she is taken to uh, Pharaoh's harem. And that word taken there is not this pleasant thing where come along with us and we'll go. She was taken she was seized in all of that so you know here we are reminded again of just the irony of Abram taking a dowry for his own wife and she is taken away so uh, that's that's where we find out that everything changes and it seems to go well for Abram I will bless them that bless you well Pharaoh kind <coughs> of blessed Abram and and so I, I'm sure Abram could kind of look and say, well, this is a terrible kind of thing. I hate it that it happened this way. But look, it, it's all kind of working for good. And uh, th- this is just a horrible situation. Now, can you imagine every animal and every servant that Pharaoh gave Abram is going to do something every time he sees them. Every time the camel makes camel noises, every time the donkey uh, brays, 
every time one of the uh, new servants comes in to bring Abram water or something like that, it's going to be a reminder of what he has done. You know, that's the way it is with sin. It seems like it promises all of this great stuff and then everything brings pain and regret and a reminder of our failure. This is the way Abram is going to live. Uh, He doesn't know what's going to happen next, but this is the way he's going to live for a long time. Now, did he get better or worse (laughs) when Sarai came back? Can you imagine every time one of those servants came in, that Sarai would say thank you very much and be polite to the servant and then glare at Abram. This is going to be a tough situation. So number four, the Lord intervened and protected the promised blessing. God has sworn to do this and he's not going to let anything threaten it or tear it apart. And so he plagues Pharaoh And the Bible says here he did it with great plagues. They must have been sudden and they must have been intense and severe enough that it got Pharaoh's um, attention in here. And so uh, Pharaoh comes back to Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? I find that interesting. What is this you have done to me? Why did you tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? Uh, I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife, take her and go your way. And then he sends a a, a military um, unit to make sure that he gets out of Egypt. He doesn't want anything else to do with Abram because of all of this. He doesn't trust him uh, because he lied to him and he doesn't want any more plagues. He's kind of thinking, get him out of here and all of the plagues will cease. Now, when Pharaoh comes up to Abram and says, what would you do this for? I find it interesting that it was a lost man, a pagan man, a pagan king, an idol-worshiping king that has to rebuke righteous Abram. Boy, that's a sad thing. Whenever the world calls us out, whenever lost people can see our hypocrisies, whenever things become so evident because we are so selfish that other people can see the wrong that we do. That's what's happening here. Abram is being called out by somebody who doesn't even know God and doesn't even pretend to care about God or to live for God. And uh, this is just an embarrassing situation. So the plagues come. They're great plagues. They get Pharaoh's attention. He rebukes, Pharaoh rebukes Abram, the righteous guy, instead of vice versa. And so now Abram is disgraced before the unbelievers and he's actually asked to leave Egypt. We don't want you here anymore. Go ahead and get out. Go your way. Now I'm sure at that point if Abram were to say, Oh, before I go, Pharaoh, may I tell you something? God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. You kidding me? After all these plagues and after I've seen you and the way that you live and the way that you are, that you're a deceiver, I don't want to hear anything from you. Just shut your mouth and get out of Dodge. I wonder if Christian people today that are supposed to be the light of the world, salt and light in this world, if we live such compromised lives that even the world can look at us and they go, well, that's not right. 
Christians shouldn't do that. That's not the way you're supposed to live. You know, we get together sometimes as Christians and we debate things. What should a Christian do and what should a Christian not do and all of that? Just ask your lost family member. Just ask your lost friends and neighbors. They kind of have an idea of what Christians ought to do, what they ought not do, how they ought to think and how they ought to live. And it offends them when we don't. And it destroys our witness. And so I think about this with Abram. What, what does he have to say to Pharaoh? What does he have to say to any of the Egyptians? He's kind of leaving Egypt with his tail tucked between his legs, leaving in shame. This is a lesson for all of us. Live by faith. Trust the promises of God, no matter what the circumstances are, and honor God and uh, trust Him, and be careful in the way you treat other people. The way tr Abram treated Sarai, as we said, was shameful in all of this. And uh, the great uh, commandment, Jesus said, is loving God with everything that you are. And then He said, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, Abram couldn't even pull that off, could he? So in conclusion, does it help you to see a biblical hero to act shamefully and selfishly? Does it discourage you? Abram has elements of greatness as well as failure, just as you do. However, the story is not really about Abram. Let's be sure we understand this. It is about the faithfulness and the power of God. He keeps His promises. He fulfills His word. He fulfills His prophecy. He intervenes. He guides, He directs, He disciplines, and He empowers us. And I love 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. He cannot deny Himself. And so there's our lesson. Look at Abram's life and to see how our circumstances are vastly different but our character and nature is so much the same. But here's the good news. God has not and will not change. God is faithful. Well, I hope that blesses you today. Somebody needs to hear that. And I thank those of you who are teaching and pray that God blesses you and makes you fruitful this year. And uh, for those of you who watch this because you want to keep up with what the church is doing and what your class is doing, I commend you for that. God bless you. And uh, we will do this again next week and continue on in our study of the life of Abram. Okay, God bless and thank you once again.